Thanks, Tim. Today is a special day in the life of our church when we are going to install John Ashton as a member of our elder council. Uh, John, where, there you go. There you go. Hi, John. Hi. John's going to come up and preach to us in a minute, but I'm going to just offer a few words of encouragement and a charge to John as he, um, he's already started, but as he publicly starts this, this ministry of his that God has called him to. And um, John, we're installing you as an elder today um, in Christ Church, a high honor uh, indeed. A couple of thoughts to share. First, John, God has done a great work in your life just to bring you to the point where you would not only have been considered for this role, but that you have gone through the process. We have, and you think about the uh, company that you're joining as a um, an uh, elder in Christ Church, not sorry, the guys here already, but the, think of Peter and Titus and Timothy and probably John, these great biblical characters. They were elders in the church, and you're sharing that office with them, John, and it's, um, it's an amazing thing. So just real quick on the process uh, that brought John to, to this day, as you may know, every year, at the annual meeting, we send around and offer an opportunity for our, um, our members to nominate men who they think uh, qualify uh, on the biblical basis for being an elder. Um, John, you have been on that list for many years, and whether you heard Marla's voice or God's voice saying, this is your year, John, we'll, we'll leave that to you too, but we're glad that that you came. And we're going to say that you heard both, I'm sure, right? Uh, from there, uh, once a man is nominated, uh, the elders uh, and pastors uh, go through a process uh, with him to really pretty thoroughly and extensively examine his, uh, John. We examined your character, we examined your doctrine, we examined your philosophy of ministry, and, and we really examined your life as well, just to make sure that you met the biblical qualifications for eldership, for that role in Christ Church. Um, the, that, those qualifications are in a couple of different places. I'll just read uh, one from 1 Timothy 3. Here's a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer, so what we call an elder, desires a noble task. Now, the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good re reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. So, John, we um, examined you for those qualifications, and we felt that you met them. And just as importantly, um, not only did the elder counsel um, find you qualified for this role, but God's people at Crossing uh, have found you qualified and have chosen to call you as a leader 
uh, over us. That's our second test, um, to have a man qualified by the elder council, but also tested by a vote of our church. By an overwhelming margin, um, we have affirmed your call to this office. And John, these are the people who really do know you, and they, they have um, greatly um, um, said that you are worthy of this office. We even met with Marla during uh, our times, and she also confirmed what we all thought about you, and we welcome her into this role uh, as well. Uh, you are appointed for life. Did we, did we tell you that, John? Oh, oh maybe, maybe we left that out, but it's okay. We've, you are appointed for life, but you'll be reaffirmed by vote of the congregation every two years. Our government here is an elder-led or elder-ruled government, and for us, that means a couple things. First and foremost, that Jesus Christ is the head of this church, and we all serve him as our Savior, our Lord, and our Master. He alone is ultimately the leader of his church at Crossing, and we exist for his ultimate purpose, the glory of him who died for us so we can live with him. This means uh, also, uh, in our context, there's no human authority in our church higher than the elder council. The elders do not, for instance, serve under or answer to our pastors. Don't tell them. They already know. Our pastors uh, serve under the authority of the elder council and are ultimately responsible to it. Uh, our current elder council consists of two pastors who hold both offices, elder and pastor, Tim and Steve, who separately hold each office, and also now with you, John, three elders, Todd Dumkey, myself, and now John. In practical terms, this means that the difference between an elder and being a pastor is that we've called two of our elders, Tim and Steve, to special vocational roles of uh, preaching and pastoring. But those roles do not confer any additional or extra or higher authority on those guys than uh, the other elders have. They continue to have just one vote on the council, um, as does each elder. No more authority and no less. All elders have equal authority, and we make decisions ultimately, which rarely, rarely comes to this, uh, by vote. Importantly for you, John, this also means that all elders and pastors are responsible for shepherding the people at Crossing. We can't leave the shepherding of the people of Crossing just to our pastors. It's too big and too important a job for them. All elders share that role, to lead the people of Crossing to a place of reproducing spiritual maturity and unity. So please consider yourself as a pastor in the sense of a shepherd of God's people and ultimately responsible to Jesus Christ for how you discharge the authority and the responsibility that he's, uh, he has given you. My specific charge to you, John, is a, a simple one. You are an elder ultimately for one purpose, for God's glory. I think the test for success is this, John, as a result of your eldership, that God is worshipped, 
He's praised, he's exalted, he's proclaimed, and he's obeyed as he has revealed himself in the scriptures. You are responsible to him for that now, not just for yourself, not just for your family, but for how this church and the people of this church bring glory to God. To be and to make committed followers of Jesus Christ is our short mission statement, and I'll add to that, for God's glory. John, God created you for his glory. God forgave and forgot your sin and called you into his kingdom for his glory. He made you a husband and father for his glory. And now, for a very short and temporary period of your life before eternity, he has called you to be an elder in his church also for his glory. It's not always fun. It's not always glamorous. Uh, It can be messy. There's conflicts. There are hard decisions along the way. But I do charge you, John, to keep your eye trained on true north. Like a farmer who plows, wants to plow a straight furrow, focuses on one spot on the horizon and steers to it. I encourage you to make that one spot that you steer towards to be God's glory. Keep the focus on his glory as the reason he has called you into this role. On a more personal level, John, you've already added much wisdom to the council. You've been coming out to meetings for a month or so now. We, we need your wisdom. We appreciate your wisdom. John, I would just charge you lastly and importantly to love your family well first and lead your church family well next. And welcome to the council. John's going to speak to us for a minute, but I also wanted to charge our congregation at this time, as John assumes this role, to please make John's leadership a joy for him and not a burden, okay? So with that, John, I'm going to ask you to come up and and preach it to us, brother. Well, I, uh, I told Ken Wrights this morning that I was wearing a tie for him. But uh, the reality is I have to go to a wedding this afternoon, so I would not be wearing a tie. This is, this is not something I'm trying to introduce for the elder council, being the new guy. <laughs> but, um, you know, <clears throat> as Scott was saying about caring for your family and all that, as, as we went through this, this process of um, joining the elder council, the thing that was always in my mind was, am I going to have enough time to devote the attention and the care to, to this role. And, um, you know, ultimately I did conclude that I would because if I'm like probably most of you, if you take on something like this and it is too much, who gets shortchanged? It's not the job. You throw yourself into it and your family gets shortchanged. And that, that was my big concern. But, but the interesting thing was about the time that the balance went out for the congregation to confirm uh, me joining the elder council. The thing that really struck me then was really just much more a weight of responsibility, because you know, as you know, all of us have Jesus as our high priest. We are all directly connected. The elders don't in any way insert in between anybody and the Lord. Yet we are given a, lead, a role to lead and to serve the church, and it just kind of struck me that oh man, this is 
this is a big responsibility. Okay, I'll have time, but this is a big responsibility. So I I do appreciate a number of you have uh, mentioned to me that you're praying for us, and, and we really do covet your prayers because it is a job that we can only do well if we keep our eyes on the Lord, if we keep our focus on his glory, as Scott was just saying, um, that that be our goal, to, that we as a church body would be lifting up the Lord together and serving him well. So I made the mistake of uh, last time I was up here doing communion, I did everything on my phone. So I thought, I'll write things down on a piece of paper. And I'm realizing that as I've gotten older, pencil on paper under these lights doesn't do too well. So, uh, so if, I, if I'm off a little bit, uh, that, that's what's going on. So, but first, happy Father's Day to all you fathers out there. And uh, fathers to be, where's, where's our father? We got a couple fathers to be soon here. I don't know where, oh, there we go, back there. Um, but happy Father's Day. Uh, one of the things when I said about having time for my family, for those of you who don't know me so well, I have five sons. And uh, it's been one of the great joys of my life to be a father. Um, there's just, I can't describe all the, the joy that it has brought me. And uh, as I was th- preparing for what to say, it sort of made it easy at first, I thought, to uh, pick a subject, being that I was going to be speaking on Father's Day. But as I prayed and, and prepared, my subject sort of evolved to... Uh, being less about fathers and more about just how God takes your individual circumstance, whatever it might be, and brings his word alive to you in that circumstance. And so the examples I'll give you today that I'm thinking of where he's really done that for me are, are part of being a father. But for you, it could be anything. It could be because you're somebody's sister, because you're an auto mechanic, whatever it is, God brings his word alive through all these things he puts in us. So um, before we get into that, let's just pray for a moment. Our Father, you are so good to us. The love that you have showered on us, it's uh, beyond our understanding. It's beyond my understanding and how deep it is how much it is, how undeserved, yet it's given. But you do love us. And Lord, you're willing to show yourself to us. And uh, in just such intimate, personal ways for each one of us. So Lord, as, as we consider that, some examples of that, some places in your word, how you've done that for me, that um, in each of our hearts here, you'd be putting that, those thoughts about how you're trying to show yourselves to each of us, whether it's something new or if it's just a reminder or an ongoing joy that you're giving us to know about you and just how we might respond. So, Lord, I ask that for each of us here today, that um, that's what we walk away with. And uh, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the first uh, thing I thought about was when... When my oldest son, Johnny, was born. So he was born June 7th, 1991, so 26 years ago. Uh, I remember being there at the hospital, and he was a C-section. So, you know, one minute, the doctor's standing there. Then he's kind of reaching down, 
kind of like further than he should be able to reach. Because um, <laughs> your, your wife's stomach should be there, but he's, you know, reaching in to get the baby. Or she, in this case, it was uh, a female OB. And uh, out comes his baby. And his baby's screaming his lungs out. He had very strong lungs. But about all I knew about this kid was he was mine and he was loud. That was, that was pretty much it, you know. You know, I'd put my hand on Marla's stomach and feel him move. And I thought that was really cool. But that was all I really knew about him. So then as we're, you know, we're sitting in the hospital and Marla's holding It was about 3 in the afternoon he was born. So she'd be holding him and watching him do different things. And he'd move his hand a certain way. And she'd say, oh, that's what that is. And it was like she already kind of knew him. She had been getting, probably you moms in the room who, uh, you know, carried children, can relate to that. She already knew this kid. I did not know him at all. But the thing that really struck me was how much I cared for this kid. I didn't know him at all. I just met him. I didn't know a thing about him. I mean, I knew his genetics, I guess, half of them. I didn't know which piece of that half it was. But, but I really didn't know him at all, yet God had put such a deep care in my heart. For this little child. And later on that, uh, you know, you stayed there at the hospital. His first baby, you know, and it was all very exciting. Lots of emotions. But as I'm leaving, it was, it was late. So I kind of had to go out the hospital at one end and walk all the way around back to my car. And um, as I'm walking along, the thing that was just really, I felt, I felt kind of like, you know, to a, to a much lesser degree, like Ezekiel must have felt when he sat seven days amazed after he had the vision of God. But I just thought, this is what you love. This is the way you love me. You know, it gave me a whole new perspective on how deep God's love for me is and how totally undeserved. That it had nothing to do with any good thing I might have ever done in my life. But it was just this totally undeserved love that he had for me and like along with that I thought wow did my dad feel this way when I was born is this like and I, I imagine for most of you out there who have children whether it's mom or dad although mom kind of got to know the kid a little along the way I imagine that you probably had similar feelings and it just it I, I can picture the scene as I'm walking around it was Holy Redeemer Hospital and there's kind of, at least, I don't know if they've redone things there, but I can remember walking around this driveway and there's these trees over here just being kind of amazed at, uh, at, at how much he loved me. And uh, the one verse that, or section of verses that reminded me, or kind of I, I thought about at the time, uh, that sort of brought it home for me, was um, in Matthew chapter 7. Oh, and before I read this, I do have to apologize. I, if I'm kind of moving around some, Joe Colombo back there was dutifully here, you know, doing sound and taking care of all the sound needs, and I kind of didn't realize I should have been here earlier. So he has been very patient, and, so, and we decided I'll just stay here in the middle instead of moving around so that you can't hear me. <laughs> so, so I have to give Joe thanks for that, his patience. But um, let, me, let me just read here. From Matthew chapter 7, starting at verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. 
Or what man is there among you, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? And I thought, wow, this, this strength of feeling that I'm feeling for my child And I'm in the bucket of, you though you are evil, know how to care for your children. How much more your Father in heaven, who isn't, knows how to be kind and and love and give. So that kind of rolls me along. So that's, that's 1991. One new baby. Now, you know... Kids are, my kids are fairly far-spaced apart. My, uh, my youngest sitting back here is 10. And um, so 26 down to 10. So for those of you in here who have young children and don't have older children, looking at Kevin here and <laughs> the whole, everybody, a lot of people here, when your kids are young, and I've, I've said this to some of you already, so I apologize for repeating myself, it seems really hard sometimes. Um, they're not doing what they're supposed to do. They're strong-willed, just like us. Um, they, they, they don't want to do what they're supposed to sometimes. And you feel like, oh, what am I going to do? Let me tell you, this is the easy time. <laughs> because as they get older, and I've been really blessed. My kids have not gotten into big troubles or anything. Just, I've been so blessed. But when they were two... And they're having a tantrum because they want to have a toy and you don't want them to have it. You take the toy away and they don't have it. They're still having a tantrum, but the immediate problem, you know, that knife is not a toy for a two-year-old. You can't have it. You know, they say, no problem. They're not going to cut themselves. They're not going to hurt themselves. Now, roll it forward. Now they're not two. They're 18. They're 20. They're 25. Even younger than that, when they're not totally free uh, to do what they want. Uh, And... They're going to do what they want to do. And that's kind of how life works. And it drives me back to here. Because what it reminds me is not just ask the Lord and he'll give my kids the sense they need to do what's right. But it reminds me that he is their good, good father right, that we just sang about this morning, and that as much as I care about them doing right, because as all those of you know who have kids who are older, you don't care any less about what they're doing and whether they're doing the right thing. You just have a whole lot less influence on whether they're going to or not, right? I mean, you, you, you pray, you pray, you pray, but, um, but that God is their good, good father. And could somebody on the worship team remind me just what was that first, um, and I guess we loop back to it too, and the words in that last part and the first part, like the, I've heard a thousand stories. How's that? What are the words there? Somebody from the worship team? Okay, so if anybody couldn't hear that, I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like. But I've heard, tender whisper, the tender whisper of love in the dead of night. That's what we're talking about here today is there's all kinds of stories. But God 
is looking to speak to each one of us through our circumstances in life so that we can each hear him. Like Scott was saying, that, that our deep desire as an elder council is that every single person here is listening and hearing that voice of God. And when I say that voice, I've never heard any audible words or anything. But just sensing how God's spirit is moving us to be uh, in our lives. So the, now that, you know, talking about the kids already drives me to prayer. Um, you know, some people say it would drive them to drink, but my kids have been pretty good. So, <laughs> uh, but it does drive me to prayer. Uh, the, the other thing that, as I was thinking about this, that where Lord's really shown me about himself is, and this is one that you can probably relate to anybody who's a parent here, um, is when your children, now they're, you know, my guys, they're 26, 22, 18, 13, and 10. So they're pretty far apart, but they, they really love each other. And there is nothing that warms my heart more than seeing my kids care for each other. Then one of them really, you know, really is willing to sacrificially give for the sake of the other one, go way out of their way to, to be kind to the other one. And it's something that, you know, makes perfect sense. Yeah, sure, you'd like that. But until I experienced it for myself, I didn't realize how it would warm my heart to see that, to see my kids really loving each other. And when I, I think to what the Lord is teaching me about himself in that is um, us here, right? What are we supposed to, in Galatians 6.10, he says, So then, while we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So God's, God has that same concern that we have a special affection for each other, for our brothers and sisters. Not limited there, but that there's something special about that. And um, to think about the Lord, his children, us, and how he wants us to be for each other, all through Scripture, we know from, it's not just a New Testament concept, loving one another, right? Right? I mean, that's from, from way back he was revealing that to us. To love, to love, to love. Why? You never stop and ask yourself, why does God love us, want us to love one another? And there, there's lots of reasons you can come up with. But the one thing, one particular thing it makes me think of is the pleasure that we give to him by being in that right way. He made us to be a certain way. He made us this beautiful creation of his people. And part of the beauty of that creation is loving one another. And when we do that, I expect that God looking down and watching that is experiencing the same kind of joy that I experience. Because like he says, you though you are evil, that's me. You know, you though you are evil, you know, to give these gifts, I think the same way. You though you're evil, he doesn't say it, but I expect it's probably true. You, though you are evil, enjoy seeing your children love one another. I expect he enjoys seeing that with us. And it, it, it just gives me a, a, another of many slices of how we look at the gospel. 
because here's the Lord giving himself up on the cross for all of us, for any who would believe in him. He's there giving himself up. And, you know, the, the song we sang this morning about the anguish, right? The one, one verse in the how deep the Father's love for us and the anguish of Christ taking on the sin, the unstained perfect one, taking on the vile filth. Not just, oh, I told a little lie. Not just I did this. We're talking the vile sin, the, the worst despicable things that we can think of that he took on to reconcile us. And the pain and anguish, at the same time, God was watching the one he chose to be the firstborn among many brothers, right? We're told that in Scripture. Giving, 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 sacrificing for all those children he wanted to bring in and reconcile back to himself. And that just, to me, it, it blows my mind to try and wrap around that and think of the depth that God has for us. Uh, so in all these things, just the thought I had was that I would hope for each of us, we would just really continue to look in each of these circumstances that we have in our lives that God is looking to reveal himself to us, to show us what he's like a little bit more each day, to remind us of things he's already shown us, and the same with how we can live our lives and how we, as little people on the earth here, can bless the God of the universe by the way we love each other and uh, reach out to those folks around us. And he says, true worship is this, right? That you care for the widows and orphans. You know, and he says he'll be a father to the fatherless, all those things. We can bless the heart of God, each of us individually. So um, let's, uh, I guess, are we praying next, Scott? Or Okay, let's, I'll, I'll just wrap it up there. We're running a little bit later uh, than, than we're planning, so I apologize for that. I know it's Father's Day, probably a lot of grills getting ready to be warmed up out there. <laughs> so uh, am I supposed to stay up here? Okay. <laughs> All right, John, thank you for that, that message. We'll think about that. Thanks for the way God has uh, put that on your heart to share that with us today. So we want to all um, join in praying for you, John, that your uh, service of... Uh, as an elder, would, uh, would be a blessed one, would be anointed one, would bring God much glory, and would serve him with your whole heart here. So we're going to all bow and pray for John, please. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and this call upon this man's life and his wife and his family and this place that you have brought him to. Father, we do, uh, right now, we ask that you would uh, continue to anoint John with your spirit and with your wisdom and with your love, uh, may he serve you with his whole heart. May he serve you in a way that's honoring and pleasing to you. May he serve you according to your word. May he serve you in the power uh, and love of your spirit, Father. And, uh, Father, we just rejoice in this place that you have called him to. We thank you for this um, shared leadership structure that you've given 
to your church that, that one man does not serve uh, the whole burden, does not carry the whole burden here, but we look forward to the days of serving with John and serving you, Father, as a team, unified and strong, and seeking uh, your will and your glory for all that you would have for us at Crossing here. So we welcome John into this esteemed office and um, as a congregation. Uh, we thank you for him and lift him up to you on this day. And God's, God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thanks. Okay. Good job, John.